0: Hello, happy Occupational Therapy Month. It's Susie with Adaptive Mobility Services. Back again with another episode of You Ask, We Answer. You send in your questions about all things related to occupational therapy and driving. And I do my best to support you with information and resources and suggestions on kind of where you can go with the next steps. So today's question comes from a delightful OT who is in the South, Southeast of the United States here. And she writes in uh, with a question about her role, I believe, as a generalist. So here's what she has to say. She says, I'm doing clinical tests in my clinic with relation to driving. I'm not doing any of the on-road assessment, okay, which is to me where I'm thinking she would consider herself a generalist and her signature suggests the same. I went to a stroke symposium continuing education course recently where they discussed their driving program. They do a similar assessment, but they have a driving simulator. The OT mentioned that they do not say yes or no with regards to driving safety. They write the report and the doctor decides and tells the patient what the next steps are, the recommendation. So before we go any further in this, Um, I love hearing that this is how the simulator is being used. So when it comes to doing clinical testing and using a simulator, we still have not actually seen the client engage in the task of driving yet. And I think we need to be very careful as occupational therapy practitioners that while we can discuss risk and potential, we need to serve our judgment on how somebody actually does engaging the occupation for when we observe the occupation. When I talk to students, I like to use this example. Let's say there's a new admission who's come into your facility. The nursing unit has called down and they're speaking to you and they wish to know, can this individual get up and go to the bathroom themselves? You as the occupational therapist, if you have not evaluated this individual You would never just say over the telephone, sure, it sounds like they're okay, let's do it, (laughs) right? I'm kind of giggling to myself because I I assume that would never happen. uh, Instead, what we would typically do is we would go down, do a chart review, go in, meet the patient, do an occupational profile, screen for strength and range of motion and sensation and some direction following and vision. And then we would actually have them engage in the occupation in this situation toileting to see if they're capable for participating in that independently, right? Now, one of the things, um, so, and just to reinforce that, that's who we are as occupational therapists. You know, while we look at what occupies someone's time, we use the occupation and engagement in that occupation to understand that individual and their potential and their risks in other areas. So while there may be times that we do one ADL or one IADL, and then use that information to defer on other activities. We have to be careful in how we do that, right? We wouldn't have somebody brush their teeth in a seated position and use that information to defer how they're going to do on a dynamic standing activity like toileting, where they have to manage their clothing and standing and balance, et cetera, et cetera. We use the harder ADL or IADL to weigh in on how they might do with easier ADLs and IADLs. If I watch an individual standing at a kitchen counter, balancing, moving around, navigating the kitchen, gathering items, shifting their weight, reaching, you know, organizing, planning to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, then I might be able to say, well, something like laundry, they're probably able to do that as well. Or management of, um, you know, I'm thinking of the dishwasher and the, the washing machine. You can tell what chores I have to get done yet today still. <laughs> but we can use those tasks that have equivalent um, performance skills and client factors that are used by the individual to help make a decision on if they might be independent in that area. If we were to do a calendar activity, or a money management activity that might give us insight into the other or planning or management of their own healthcare, right? When it comes to the task of driving, um, driving as an occupation, I, I'm, and I'm completely open to your feedback on this one, but I don't really think that there's any occupation that is as challenging as driving. You know, driving requires the Simultaneous and the smooth integration of vision, cognition, sensation, proprioception, um, thinking, noticing, and responding. And while a large part of driving can be an overlearned motor activity, it's those changes that happen in the beat of the moment in the dynamic driving environment that challenge us to the max and and really push those client factors and performance skills. And so, in my opinion while we can do certain ADLs in the clinic and IADLs in the clinic, there's no one that we can do that's going to be as hard as driving. Okay. So this is helpful for a couple different reasons to think about because, you know, there's there's a phrase out there, if you can't drive a stove, you can't drive a car, um, which I always think is, is uh, you know, in a simplistic, simplistic way, makes a lot of sense. Right. So there's going to be times where somebody's struggling. Let's say somebody has dementia and they're struggling to organize the task of getting dressed, or they're struggling to um, be able to get themselves something to eat out of the kitchen. Then we know harder IEDLs like driving are likely off the table for them. Okay. So we can use those ADLs and IADLs that are easier when it comes to making a restriction or making a decision about what somebody can't do, right? We can look at their risk and their potential. So I've kind of gone off on a tangent here, but I think this information is going to come back and be helpful for the second part of this question. As occupational therapists, if we are the generalist in the clinic, we will be able to weigh in on risks and potential, but we will never be talking about if somebody is able to drive, because we've never seen them drive. That's the role of the specialist. And even as the specialist, we're careful to use the language around fitness to drive, which relates back to the medical impact on the ability to drive, okay? So let's continue on with your question. Love that there's a simulator. Love that sounds like she's using the simulator for assessment and for intervention, but not for making a decision. It sounds like what this individual is doing is using the simulator to understand the person's client factors and performance skills, hopefully in combination with another IADL and tests and measures to give feedback to the doctor who then the the doctor makes the determination on if an on-road assessment is needed or what steps are needed. Okay, so this OT keeps writing. She says, I've been including driver recommendations in my reports and discussing this with my patients before they leave, and now I'm thinking about this conversation and wondering if it's not appropriate since I'm not a driver rehabilitation specialist. For example, for people with dementia who fail most of the tests, I do recommend driving retirement. Okay, let me stop there first and foremost, I think that's 100% within your scope as a generalist. Okay, let me back up a second. So as a generalist, you want to be careful that you are not making recommendations about fitness to drive. Think about what I just said about how you can use your different tests and measures to recommend if there's too much risk for the harder activity. So in the scenario where the individual with dementia is struggling in a range of tests and struggling to do other ADLs and IADLs. Yes, it is hundred percent within your scope of practice to recommend driving retirement. Okay. Next example you have written down this OT wrote, if I have concerns, I recommend an on the road test. Beautiful. You work with somebody, they've got risk and potential. You're going to recommend them to the specialist to have them engage in the occupation of driving to see how they are doing with driving. So I like where your thought process is here, right? You're, if somebody, and this actually really relates to the OT drive model as well. The one that was, um, I believe published in 2016 or 2017 by Davis and Dickerson, the OT drive model very simplistically breaks down driving behaviors into categories of red, yellow, green, red being it's a high risk, low potential, likely driving retirement, yellow, there's risk and potential probably need to see a specialist. Green, very little risk, lots of potential. We're going to let the physician weigh in and recommend when this individual is okay to return to driving. And this OT's third example, if the patient has mild issue, I may recommend not driving at night or in heavy, heavy traffic. So this last recommendation I actually think you should stay away from as a generalist because you Have not seen them engage in that activity. The nighttime piece might make sense with contrast sensitivity testing, and a lot of specialists do kind of make that recommendation as well. We don't typically see people people drive at night, but what we do see is how they manage going in and out of shadows. We might get them in and out of a garage. And so, when it comes to changing driving behaviors or making recommendations on that, if you think that's something that needs to be considered, they're likely somebody who instead should be referred to the specialist for the on-road assessment and to make that determination, especially something like heavy traffic. Now you're weighing in and saying that there's some kind of change that could impact their multitasking or their notice and response. That individual really needs to be seen in the car. It shouldn't be a decision that we're making based on the, in the clinic. And this this all aligns with what we do as specialists as well. You know, as a specialist, when we do a comprehensive evaluation, and there's an overlap between what we do as specialists and what we do as generalists, right? There's an overlap in some of these tests and measures, but our lens is a little different. But we still start with those tests and measures. Then we use that information to guide our clinical reasoning and anticipate what we're going to see in the car. If I'm seeing somebody for a comprehensive evaluation and they do beautifully on all the tests and measures... We are still getting in the car. I don't make a decision about fitness to drive until I see them drive. I hope that point makes sense, right? We are occupational therapists, so we look at the engagement in the occupation before we weigh in on the independence and safety and ability to participate in that occupation. We can always look at risk and potential, we can always discuss that. But when it comes to engaging in it, we truly need to see them engage in that task before we make that decision. Now, along the role with these recommendations, or along the line with these recommendations, I'd love to also support and reinforce that, especially if we're talking about driving retirement, one, this decision never just comes down to one person. That means it is not the job of just the OT to determine it's time for driving retirement. These kinds of conversations should include more than one person, more than one test, and should be made over more than one day. Okay. And when I say that, I mean, you know, so let's say you have an individual and they've got mild dementia, or maybe they don't have a diagnosis of dementia yet, but they have mild cognitive impairment. Okay. It might not actually be time to retire from driving. We should weigh in and have our conversations about what we're seeing with the referring doctor, exploring the options for an on-road assessment with a specialist, giving the individual choice. These decisions never have to be made by one person. They are not made using one test and they take more than one day. Even in my role as a specialist, there's been more than one conversation by the time that individual has gotten to me typically. And if not, I'm engaging the doctor. So it's more than one person. There's more than one day being considered here. And there's more than one test being used. Super, super duper important. I think this is also helpful to kind of consider because it takes some of the weight off of, what you have to do as an OT practitioner. As an occupational therapy practitioner, your job is to stand up and say, if there's a safety risk or concern, we do that all the time with medications, home management, safety, kitchen safety, so on and so forth. Right. And so that's our role. We can think about where somebody's safety and risk stands. Okay. So hopefully this is all coming together and making sense, but let me go back to the email. Um, because this OT goes on to say, I've read some things on AOTA, but it seems to be a little gray on how to make recommendations. Do you have any resources that I can read more into this before I meet with my managers? I want to make sure I'm following the practice guidelines that are out there and not going outside of my scope of practice. Do you have any further suggestions for me? I absolutely do. So if you have not looked at it yet, I strongly recommend reading the OT drive practice model. I also recommend then taking a look at a free resource that myself, Dr. Dickerson, and Dr. Terry Cassie developed called the generalist resource to integrate driving. I'll put the link in the show notes here. And then I just published with my capstone student, Gerard, shout out to Gerard, um, university of Las Vegas. So great to work with him. He helped me go through and redesign our free course that is for every OT practitioner out there. And this OT course looks at OT's role with driving. Now, in this course, we actually spend a lot of time helping to delineate the role between the generalist versus the specialist. And so we've got charts and information, and it's based on evidence, and it's based on best practice guidelines, and it's based on all the information that's out there and the conversations that are happening in the community of practice and what the experts are saying. And we have this chart that talks about the practice area, the education level, the assessment tools done by each the interventions provided, the recommendations within your scope of practice. And so I think based on the conversation here, let's just jump over to the recommendations within your scope of practice. So this would include for the generalist, you're able to discuss low-risk individuals with the doctor. You're able to refer those with moderate risk to the driver rehabilitation specialist. Those with high risk should be supported with driving retirement. And as the OT generalist, you can always, always, always recommend a temporary hold on driving while somebody is continuing to recover, remediate, or improve. You can always recommend a hold while the conversation continues. Then it's the role of the specialist to recommend fitness to drive, to make recommendations on adaptive driving equipment, to support and follow the state licensing regulatory guidelines, And of course, to support the OT generalist and provide recommendations and consultation. A couple other things that I think really help to differentiate the specialist and the generalist are the idea that the specialist has advanced training. They're the ones who are able to work in a moving car with a client, right? So they're the ones that can turn the engine on and can do things in a moving car because they have that hands-on advanced training. They've got the special liability insurance and coverage, and they have specialized equipment. As a driving specialist, when I work with somebody, especially the first time, we're going into my driving rehab vehicle that has special equipment in it to help keep myself and the patient safe, okay? So just knowing those things, I think, can help to differentiate your role as well. So I'm going to include those links in there. If you come take the free course, it's good for three CEUs. It is approved by AOTA for CE, three hours of CE. And this course also includes um, like a summary on the OT drive as well as the grid. So if you kind of wanted to just go one place and get everything, that might be the easiest. But I will include the links in the information for the other stuff as well. Hey, I really appreciate you reaching out this OT. I really appreciate you reaching out. I appreciate your question. I want to apologize because it took me a a little bit of time to get back to you, but I love this question. Um, What you're asking is so good and so important. And the other thing I'm going to say is, you know, this stuff continues to evolve. So if you're an OT in the clinic and you were doing similar things, or you were saying that you were able to provide a driving recommendation, What I suggest is that you think about that and really reel it back and say, you know, actually what we know now is that as a generalist, we can talk about driving risk. We can talk about driving risk and potential. We're gonna leave the driving recommendation for the specialist, but here's how I can help. Here's how I can screen. Here's how I can know if this person's really ready and where they should go from there. And just know it's a continual process that we all keep working on. So keep those questions coming. Let me know if this information makes sense, if it lands well with you. Please let me know if you have any thoughts or feedback, because I love to interact and I love to know what you're thinking, if you have a different opinion and so on and so forth. And as always, thank you for everything you do. You are an OT superhero. What you do changes lives. And that's just incredible. I wish you the very best. Happy OT month. Uh, If you're listening in April or any other month, just know that you're important and what you do matters. And thank you so much. Have a great day.